Welcome to Untold Physio Stories Podcast, your perfect commute resource with physio failures, successes, interesting cases, and more from the physio and rehab world with your host, Drs. Andrew Rothschild and Urson Religioso. Topical analgesics help patients alleviate pain and reduce discomfort. I recommend and use Helix Professional Pain Relief Creams with my patients. Helix has three new creams they've added to their line of topical analgesics. Joining their pain relieving cream is Triactive Therapy Cream, CBD Therapy, and CBD Clinical Creams. My patients have been raving about these creams, and that's why I'm offering you an opportunity to try these in your practice. Email my exclusive promo code MMT2 to helix at helix4, the number 4, pain.com to receive samples of these new professional pain relief creams and find a medical supply distributor near you. You'll get a starter kit with several samples, patient information brochures, and it's a great way to help patients and grow your practice. Welcome back to Untold Physio Stories Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. E, with Edge Mobility System, Modern Manual Therapy, and our four-month online mentoring program, Modern Rehab Mastery. And my co-host is... Dr. Andrew Rothschild with Modern Patient Education. How's it going today, Andrew? Good, Erson. How you doing? Great. So over the holiday weekend, I don't normally do this, but I actually got into a debate, and it was, it was a good debate, on pathoanatomy and manual therapy on my Facebook page. And I don't normally debate people just because people are always arguing about whatever. Every time I post a spinal manipulation video, all the armchair chiros and armchair uh, people who think that I shouldn't be manipulating, you know, they, they start going off about whatever. Uh, but this guy, I, I had, he's been on my radar for a while and I won't, I won't call him out. Um, but he, he's, I think he is probably at least my age, probably possibly a little bit older. I haven't really looked at his work too much, but I got the feeling that um, he was still pathoanatomical. Um, he recently invited me to connect on LinkedIn. I connected. He said, hey, you should look at my stuff. And I said, okay, you should look at my stuff. And, you know, I didn't look at his stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I looked at his stuff a long time ago and, you know, it was, it was basically stuff I may have found interesting maybe 15 years ago. And to the best of my knowledge, the majority of people, they haven't changed, especially if they name a technique after themselves. You know, if the entire technique is after your last name, it's doubtful that it has gone through significant revisions. And I'm not saying that you don't like tweak things here and there, but I'm just saying you don't completely change your school of thought, right? Yeah. So I posted posted a skull crusher video and he said, oh, this is really interesting. And, you know, but how do you account for uh, anomalous findings in the upper cervical spine on scans? And I said, irrelevant. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know, the majority of people have uh, abnormal findings who are asymptomatic, especially in the cervical spine. There's plenty of studies that show that. And he said, no, you know, what about, not true. What about this, uh, this one case, 81-year-old friend, good friend of mine, he had some kind of something, and I did this technique and only once, and now he's better. And I said, well, I'm not saying, you know, the same thing that had been told to me back when I, I was, I made my change. You know, when I first started blogging, it was purely to talk about the edge tool. I only wanted to sell edge tools like 12 years ago, and... um. 
I, you know, took all kinds of pictures of me bruising people. And I used to tell students that if you don't bruise people by the end of your, um, by the end of your first week, you're not being aggressive enough. And, and I think, you know, one of the things I like to say about myself then and about this guy who I'm currently talking about is that you're, when you're a victim, you're a victim of your own success when you have mechanisms in your head that probably aren't correct, but you still have good outcomes, right? It, the outcomes, just because you have successful outcomes doesn't mean that whatever mechanism that you think is happening is actually happening. Would you agree? hundred percent. I mean, it's, it's, it's conf Yeah, it's absolutely confirmation bias. And, and the problem is the, the majority of these pathoanatomical mechanisms like correcting positional faults or um, reducing disc herniations or putting things back into place or weak core causing uh, pain, all these things that have been, you know, disproven for the most part, they make sense to not only to clinicians, but they, they absolutely make sense to the public. You know, you put your hands on someone, you hear a click, oh, it must have been out of place because now it's back into place. Um, and, you know, what was told to me 12 years ago when I got invaded by an evidence-based forum and they all just started trolling me and presenting me with the research and calling me dinosaur, I had to go through my own cognitive dissonance and it wasn't an easy it wasn't an easy ride, but the more and more I read the research and the more um, I kind of accepted it, I realized that, um, you know, I had to admit the way, not the way I practice was wrong, but the way I explained things to patients was wrong. The way I emphasize passive care over active care uh, was wrong. And, you know, I, I looked for a while for any kind of research to, to prove that you could deform fascia or that there were simple mechanical explanations to manual therapy. And I, I couldn't find them for years. So it actually became very liberating to to think that um, and to eventually teach that everything has a, a neurophysiological mechanism behind it. And there are a few um, rare exceptions where there is a purely mechanical change. Um, but back to this, back to this gentleman, you know, he was saying that, well, I, you know, I made like, there's always exceptions to this rule. Cause I, I said, you should really read this. And it was Bielowski's most recent paper. He's like, oh, I've read Bielowski many times, but there's always exceptions to the rule. And I said, well, that's what they are though. They're exceptions and they are not the rule, you know? And um, I didn't want to get into the whole cup analogy or the recovery timeline. And it's not like I completely discount things like arthritis or disc herniations or positional faults or anything like that. It's just that it's not the sole cause of pain. And even if it were, you're not changing those things as rapidly as you change pain. And I think that's the hardest thing. That's the hardest thing to um, reconcile. How did you, how did you go about changing your thoughts? Yeah, I think it's, you know, it's fairly similar in the sense of what you said earlier about like, you know, the practice didn't change, what you did didn't change, but what you, the rationale changed. And I, I came to that, I think, sort of epiphany, I guess probably like eight, eight, nine years ago now. Um, you know, I got my, I did my fellowship in 2012 um, to the Ola Grimsby Institute, which was very, sort of very, um, not necessarily, I wouldn't say pathoanatomical, but, you know, very much, you know, you know, a lot of emphasis on tissue specificity and trying to find like a tissue source 
of dysfunction in, in, a, in a person's presentation. Um, and it was one of those things that, you know, the way I learn is I kind of go all in to really learn it and absorb it and then take a step back out later to kind of, you know, uh, reflect on it. And even in the moment when I was learning it, some of it didn't make sense as in terms of how can you differentiate as much like, a, you know, ligamentous from, you know, in the spine, or like a disc from facet from this, because there's so much crossover and variability. Um, and not taking into account, obviously, sort of the, um, the psychosocial component of pain uh, that we know is such a predominant thing, especially in, in chronic pain, much more so than in tissue. And so it was really after that, that I had, you know, really immersed myself in that for, you know, several years that really opened myself up to and getting exposed to sort of pain science and realizing, oh, this really kind of filled in all the gaps of, with the questions that I had with my training in the sense that I'm doing all these things that are, I'm supposed to be doing and people are still not responding. You know, what's, what's that missing piece? And that, that kind of filled in the gap very nicely. And then realizing that, you know, like I said, re, you know, by, by Alaski's article, stuff from Adrian Lowe and Louis Puentadura, and um, of course, you know, um, David Butler and Laura Mosley, and I was kind of really getting immersing myself into that and really realizing that, you know, that's such a big component and the explanations that we have while these things do exist, like you said, there is arthritis, there is, there are muscle strains, there are ligamentous strains, there are, um, you know, scar tissue and scar tissue forms that can be structurally and physiologically more sensitive. So there still is, is some sort of maybe some tissue issue going on, but or ability to def to um, diagnose it specifically, and how it that much it how much it actually changes our treatment uh, from a specificity standpoint is is highly variable. Um, but there are some common threads that that do matter the most, um, and then the, the 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 rationale for what you know when you compare manual any kind of manual technique and or instrument assisted technique, and they all work in the same manner one is not superior to another um and and research has really has really shown this manipulation mobilization soft tissue all these things they all kind of work it's really kind of matching it with that with what the patient thinks they need to so their expectation uh and also you know your own experience you know from as a clinician what you've seen work in, in certain similar situations and it's testing retesting and reevaluating. um but then at the end of the day, it's still that these things work in the same way because it's the effect on uh, the neurophysiological effect, not the biomechanical uh, or pathoanatomical effect. Yeah, I think the hardest thing to reconcile is that especially, you know, I mean, I would have had the same arguments with myself, just like this guy was arguing with me because he's successful. And, you know, what I what I asked was like, well, if. I said, well, you know, the majority of pain is non-specific, not only neck and back pain, but let's just go there. If neck and back pain is, is non-specific, treatment has to be non-specific because why would your technique work? Why would my technique work? Why would needling work? Why would PRI work or breathing or McKenzie retractions or anything? Why would any of these things work? Why, why would any and all of these things work if it had to be done one way? And I wasn't yeah. even saying... The problem is again, like the first time you hit, you're hit with this cognitive dissonance. All you can talk, all you can think is that 
though I put so much time and effort into this and you know I didn't even name it after myself like this guy did but uh, it's hard to say it's hard not to take it personally um but the most like I guess the ultimate question I ever want to ask someone like this and I could have asked myself this like so many years ago and I probably would have said no is do you think you can teach someone to be as, as successful as you right because mm. it's it's quite it's quite humbling to say yes to that and I always say you guys, anyone could have guru-like results, right? It's like one of my taglines of my course. Anyone can have guru-like results because I want to be like the hashtag anti-guru. If you can explain things like me or you can motivate people like me because like it's not, um, it's not, it's the Jedi, little Jedi mind tricks and it's, it's, it's the words I use. It's not the techniques I use, you know? Yes, absolutely. And I think, I think it's tough. Like, you know, I remember seeing that on social media probably a few years ago that I think, kind of like what you just said, that people really hold on to certain things because they did. They put in a lot of time and effort and money into learning certain things. So it, it's it's really hard to let go of that, and especially if you have sort of a, you know, any kind of emotional attachment to it. And I know I did that, you know, going through residency and fellowship took a lot of time and money and effort. Um, but at the end of the day, I care more about being right. And so if right is different than what I've learned, then I'm open to that as well because that's okay because that's the that's I think that's the most important thing when when dealing with patients is is providing them with the best what we think we know now of course with the current best available information we have um, and doing that in the most uh, responsible uh, and, and ethical way um, and and that might be you know still doing the same technique that you learned but you, now instead of putting something back into place it's just reducing pain and, and guarding because of the effects on the, on, you know, the neurophysiological effects, not because it actually has any kind of structural change. Yeah. Yeah. The only thing though, that all this enlightenment does is make the, uh, the explanations in the interaction with the patient more difficult because it certainly was easier when we just said, this is going to fix you or this puts things back into place or this breaks up fascia or this realigns you because that everyone's just like, sure, do it. it it really now is. I have to spend like a 25 minute like diatribe about how it's changing perception. And I have to go over examples of why we can't deform fascia and, you know, people eventually get it, but it's just lucky that I have that kind of time. No, it's, and it's a hundred percent true what you just said that it really does make things more complicated. And, and sometimes, you know, patients have a hard time kind of, you know, it's make, you know, it, it doesn't make sense to us because we understand how like, how does it logically make sense? You could put something back into place, but it, it, because it is so simplistic um, in the explanation of it, 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 people do latch onto that much more easily than the actual answer. Yeah. The actual answer is, is more difficult to swallow as well um, because it is more complex and it does yes. make more sense. But, but I also, that's why I try to use like simple Jedi mind trick examples. Like, well, if I'm really, you know, what would be the difference between me breaking up your scar tissue and you spraining an ankle? You know, like why would the ground that is rupturing or, or tearing your tissues or even just, my, you know, causing a minor tear, but huge inflammation, why would that feel bad? Yet for some reason, when I do it with my hand, a tool, a massage gun or something like that, why wouldn't that be traumatic? You know, why wouldn't right. I be causing physical trauma? Because it's not like it's so therapeutic that it's, it's going to feel great under my... It, because trauma is trauma. It would actually be damaging you and you wouldn't feel good. You would feel bad. 
Yes, absolutely. I, I had that conversation just this afternoon with a patient who's asking about scar tissue. She's like, say, like, well, how can you break up scar tissue? I said, uh, two ways. Uh, one's with a scalpel and the other is with a motor vehicle. Right, yes. You know, and so I, said, I said, you know, one of which is probably a better option than the other, you know, from a safety standpoint. Probably. <laughs> but I was like, but, you know, you truly, you're not, that's the, those are the only ways to do it. Um, and you can't, there's no, there truly is no other way, regardless of what, what you've heard. Yeah. All right. Well, good talk, Andrew. Where can people find you? People can find me uh, mostly on Instagram at a Rothschild PT, also on LinkedIn, just under my name. All right. So if you guys have any similar stories where you got into an argument, you had a difficulty explaining to something to someone, or you had a revelation and completely changed the way, not only that you practiced, but more about the way that you explain things or thought about things, make sure to give us a shout out. Come on the podcast and um, tell your story. Uh, also, make sure to rate Untold Physio Stories five stars wherever you listen to podcasts. And uh, as always, you guys have a good one. Untold Physio Stories is now sponsored by MyPT Insurance. Insurance just got easier. Through continued research, MyPT Insurance has crafted a policy that is economical and provides you with the peace of mind you need. Your extensive education, training, and experience as a PT allows you to assist clients in achieving their personal health goals. By practicing without individual professional liability insurance, you could be placing your career and future finances at risk. Whether you're a student, self-employed, or employed with a company, MyPT Insurance is here to provide affordable insurance coverage while protecting you and your patients. MyPT Insurance's plan also includes mobile coverage, which means it follows you wherever you work in the United States. Employed rates and self-employed rates are available. Visit myptinsurance.com edge to sign up today.